What a day of victory. Ultimate victory and real hope. My name is Mike Vorpal. Good morning. My name is Jenny Engels. And we are here to read today's passage before the sermon. Luke 24, verses 13 to 27. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, twenty, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary, not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Thank you so very much for this reading. Easter Sunday is an extraordinary time to be able to ponder the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're about to do that now as we look to our Lord in prayer. And our Father, what we want to do in these coming moments, very similar to what Jesus Christ did for the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, going to open up your word, want to explore it, want to be able to connect the dots in a very disconnected society, want to bring clarity to where there's confusion, hope where there's despair, life where there's death, resurrection realities from beginning to end. These moments are important, Father, as we explore your word together. So we're praying now once again that you would warm these hearts, you engage these minds, that you would shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things still again now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Join me as we once again make our way to Israel. As we make our way to Israel, there's a particular path that I want to be able to explore with you that appears on the screen. There is a road known as the Emmaus Road. And there is a directional sign that tells you how to get to Emmaus, Nicopolis, if you will. Uh, Roughly about seven miles or so outside of Jerusalem in the West uh, Corridor, the West Bank. And it's here where you and I begin to ponder the significance of the story that's being unpacked before us in these very moments. As we're thinking about all that took place and the dramatic realization of who Christ is and what Christ has done. What I want to do with you as we explore this this vivid, memorable appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning, I want to draw three significant distinctives for those that find themselves what I might call this morning on life's journey. And these individuals were on a journey. They were making their way from Jerusalem, heading home. And today, if you find yourself in some way, shape, or form, metaphorically on a journey, trying to figure out where it is that you're meant to be, where is God going to meet you on your journey, this is a story for you. What I want to do with you this morning is to draw out three distinctives that I see here in life's journey. The first comes out of verse 13. We're going to take it all the way down to verse 24. That first of all, as you and I, as we collectively connect Christ's death and resurrection, well, this morning I want to begin with you by noting here the confusion here that our Lord addresses. These disciples... They're confused. They have seen Jesus die on that cross. It's almost as if hope has been drained out of their their blood vessels. And yet Jesus is going to break in. He has a way of doing that, you know. Notice with me how this begins. It's that very day. It's that very day, Resurrection Day. Now, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. We're told here by the physician Luke, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They were talking with each other about about all these things that had happened, you see. Now, God delights in creating conversation, discussion, opportunities for you and me to begin to think seriously with one another, the ultimate issues of life. You doing that at home? You doing that with your friends, your co-workers? It's the Emmaus Road experience, I might call it this morning. Major Gilbert told of his advance toward Jerusalem during World War I. He stopped one night to visit a, a field hospital. He stayed by the bedside of a dying soldier. He was barely 19 years of age. 
in the field marshal, Major told the young man of their location. They were at Emmaus. This was the Emmaus Hospital. And so the major began to unpack the story of what we call the Emmaus journey. Told the young man from about the book of Luke and two men on their way to Emmaus and the appearance of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Told him how Jesus ate with them that day. And it happened right here on this very spot, said the major. Gilbert tells us that there was this extraordinary look of peace and comfort that the young man was exhibiting on his deathbed because it was there that he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and as his Savior. And Jesus met him in his Emmaus moment. This morning, you might find yourself in some form of a spiritual journey. And what you need is an Emmaus moment where God interrupts your forward progress and you thought it was forward progress. But in reality, what he does at this point is giving you the ultimate in forward progress. Movement toward God, not from God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Huh? You and I are told they're talking. They've got one major conversation going on here, don't they? They're talking with each other in verse 14 about all these things, not just some of them, that had happened. Because what you and I find is that we're in a culture of disconnect, where you've got all these dots. It's as if this is a culture of mosaic. All the dots all over the screen of your, of your soul, of your heart, your mind. And you're desperately in need of somebody who can create some kind of configuration out of all of this. Develop a picture for you of how all these dots connect to give you a sense of meaning. Well, right now, these disciples have heard all kinds of various stories. And they've been confronted with the reality of Christ's death firsthand observed. But now, how do you connect the stories that are being told of resurrection with the reality of what they've observed regarding Christ's death? So their conversation involves, how do I begin connecting the dots of this particular moment of life? And maybe this morning, that's where you're at. You're trying to bring a connect out of the disconnect of your reality. It's understandable. We've been there. But you and I are told, you've made your way now to verse 15, is that while they were talking and discussing these things, mark the word discussing, your Newer Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word carries with the idea of a very intense debate. Maybe you've been in that kind of situation. 
Well, in the midst of this intense debate on their journey, what comes next should put a smile on your face. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Notice they were not out looking for Jesus. What I see here at this moment is what I will call the grace of the divine approach. It's when people are least expecting it, God breaks into their journey, into their Emmaus travels, if you will. And Jesus perfectly times it. Jesus knows their location. He knows yours. He knows your zip code. This is not what you and I oftentimes call an accident in time. It's an appointment with time. For some, it's that unexpected individual who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior and all of a sudden began a conversation with a loved one that you've been praying for. And things start happening. A discussion ensues. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. This is the grace of the divine encounter. They're not looking for him. He's looking for them. And he went with them. C.S. Lewis. He said that when he was writing his books as an atheist, professor of medieval and uh, renaissance literature at Oxford. He said that as he would write, there would be somebody, somebody behind him. And he would turn, there's no one there. Professor Lewis said, quote, to say that I was searching for God was like saying a mouse was searching for a cat. That presence haunted me day and night. People, when you live a life of total expectation, you just never know when or where you're about to encounter grace on your journey. And Professor Lewis, C.S. Lewis, came to the saving faith in Jesus Christ. He wasn't necessarily looking for God, let alone Jesus at that moment. But God was crowding his space. You ever done that to you? Crowding your space. Pressing grace into your moment. When you least expected it. He does that even for your loved ones that you're so burdened for. You know. Uh, you take a deep breath, you sigh. Because in 15, while they were talking and discussing, literally debating intensely together, Jesus himself drew near. He went with them. He's with them. He's with you. Now, I want you to notice, you're up now to verse, verse 16. There is sovereign involvement here. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It does not merely say they didn't recognize him. 
There is some direct involvement by God upon these individuals at this point. According to his own particular purposes at this moment, their eyes, oh, they had physical eyesight. What they are lacking now is spiritual insight. Their eyes were kept, mark that, from recognizing him. Now, they're grappling with the reality of life at this moment. And what is the purpose of all these stories that they are being told? Well, what I want you to see beginning in verse 17 is what I will call the grace of divine initiative. It's the grace of the first question. They don't ask a question of this traveling companion, do they? No. He's got a question for them. So he said to them, well, now, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Can you just picture your Lord? Now, he's got some kind of smile on his face at this moment. And if it's being hidden under his beard, so be it. Well, you know, they stood still. And what I want you to see is the extraordinary sadness because there's an intensity to that word in the original language. It's, a, it's the look of despair. For you see, they had pinned all their hopes, all their hopes, as you're going to see in just a moment, upon one who they thought was the messianic interventionist who would rescue Israel from the political claws of Rome in the Roman Empire. Uh, but there's so much more to Jesus than that, you see. They're looking sad. They're wondering, they're wondering if there's any hope. You and I, we traffic with people who need hope on our Emmaus journeys. You know, during the Vietnam War, there was a MASH unit that took care of hundreds of wounded soldiers. And it was the duty of military physicians to diagnose the condition of the wounded. Nurses were followed with a clipboard and tags to put on the toes of the wounded that came in one of three categories. Category one, no hope. Category two, medical help needed. Category three, dead. Physician determined that one of the men was hopeless, had the nurse to tag him, no hope. But you see, there's more to that story. The man overheard the dialogue between the physician and the nurse, whispered for her to come over. He whispered, medical help needed. You know, he lost his leg, but recovered and went home to his family became a follower of Jesus Christ and a witness in his community. 
We live among people that feel like they've been tagged with no hope. Maybe you've gone through some kind of extraordinary experiences in the last years. Don't confuse helpless with hopeless. You might have felt helpless in the experience, but you are not hopeless in the midst of the experience. You remain hopeful even when you feel helpless, you see. You're on the Emmaus Road. And so one of them now, as they're pondering the grace of the initial question, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk as if Jesus didn't know? They stood still. They're looking sad. They've stopped their forward movement, so they thought. Well, we're told who it is. One of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face now? I don't know how you keep a straight face with that one. How did your Lord manage that? But what he's doing at this point is that he's drawing them out. And when you're working with people who feel so utterly hopeless, I want you to start drawing them out. This is the grace of the question. He graciously draws them out. He doesn't immediately say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm alive. Does he? No, he's going to allow them to work through. He's going to allow them to process. He's going to get them to think about things that matter most. They're going to have to address their despair personally before he provides the evidence conversationally. So now, he asks the question, what is this conversation you are holding with each other? They in turn ask a question, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> Leave it to Jesus. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? I almost see him leaning back at that point. He wants them to be able to start connecting the dots for themselves. Rather than he just doing it for them. Oh, there will come a point where they realize who it is, but that's too soon. Don't be impatient with people who are still working the process. Allow them to start working it out, working it out, working it out. And so now they're going to have to start offering Jesus some details here. And so they respond to him saying, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed. Pause. They don't say, the Messiah. 
they say a prophet. In other words, they're kind of identifying just where they're at. This helps in dialogue, you see. A person's going to have to identify just where he or she is at and how they view Jesus. That is a critical issue. And how do you view Jesus is the issue of the hour. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, what is the first description they use? A man who's a mighty, a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now, once they have labeled him, and I'm very interested, aren't you, in how people label Jesus? Some he's the great teacher, other he's the great example. How do you view Jesus? Is he your Lord? your Savior, the one who died for your sins and raised on the third day. But now after they have offered their label, in verse 20, they're going to just keep on talking. And sometimes you're just going to have to allow that to happen. You see. Because what they're going to do now is allow for their label to get challenged by, by the details. I like that. They're going to have to start addressing their own assumptions and presuppositions about, about who Jesus is. Let them talk. Because now in verse 20, they go on to say, How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. That is all true. That is real reality. But now a but. Verse 21 kicks in. But we had hoped, mark that, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Pause. It does not say that they had stated, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem us from the penalty of our sins. Let me see. What they had was a political Messiah. What they had was the Redeemer of Israel from the clutches of the Roman Empire. They had politicized Jesus. Some privatize him, others politicize him. We proclaim him. What they wanted at this point was somebody to just simply overthrow Caesar, not overtake their souls. How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Years ago, S-4 submarine rammed by another ship, began to sink. Entire crew trapped in a prison house of death. Ships rushed to the scene off the coast of Massachusetts. Divers went deep. One placed his helmeted ear to the side of the vessel and listened. tapping noise he learned from having understood Morse code 
what the man was asking. Is there any hope? Once again, don't confuse helplessness with hopelessness. When one feels helpless, they can remain hopeful because you've got somebody who meets us on Emmaus Roads and breaks into the realities of our life condition. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, so now they've got a miss, they've got a limited view of Jesus, prophet, according to verse 19. They have got a a, a twisted sense of what redemption would entail, confusing the now and the not yet. Yes. And besides all this, and I'm sure that Jesus smiled at this point, it is now the third day. People, if you love Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you're part of the third day crowd. You are children of the third day. Resurrection realities. Jesus allowed them to label him so to, as to expose where they were at in their view of him. He allowed them furthermore to offer in sentence form just where they stood on the subject of redemption. And now he furthermore allows them to articulate it's now the third day. Huh, this is good. It's now the third day since these things These things happened, you see. And now, well, you're up to, you're up to verse 22, aren't you? And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. And they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who who said that he was, he was all about life. These women amazed us, they said. And all the women of this congregation nod their head at this point. Told you so. Told you so. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said. Told you so. But him they did not see. I wonder why. God is giving at this point material evidence regarding the fact that um, the linen cloths, the road away stone, all of such allow them to begin to examine the evidence. If you're watching online right now, Examine the evidence. Explore it. There's something about God having the stone rolled away so that you can begin to see for yourself the evidence at hand here. He is not here. He is risen. And so now they're having to process this. And so they have reached a point where they have allowed for the testimony of others, these ladies, to be able now to 
connect some dots for them regarding death and resurrection pertaining to Jesus. If you've ever been to Westminster Abbey, it's an extraordinary thing to do. There's a tomb there of James Wolfe, who was a distinguished British Army officer, died in battle after being shot three times. And neared death just as the battle concluded. When he heard of this impending victory, the forces said, Now may my Lord be praised. I die contented. And the words carved on his tomb in Westminster Abbey are these, quote, Slain in the moment of victory. Unquote. And Jesus breaks in. As we connect Christ's death and resurrection, then, you are, first of all, noting with me the confusion our Lord addresses. And man, do we traffic with people who are confused. But now, second of all, as you and I, as we together on this Resurrection Sunday, connect Christ's death and resurrection, you move from the, from the confusion our Lord addresses to, second of all, the understanding our Lord provides. He, first of all, allowed them to articulate their confusion before he offered understanding. And you're going to have to do that with people, you know. Don't put the cart before the horse. And so now he has something to say, not prematurely. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Now, what interests me is what comes next. Because then he goes on to say, was it not necessary here at this point? Mark that word. Ponder that word. Think through that word. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter to his glory? In other words, suffering would precede glory. He wouldn't just bring glory to Israel without suffering first for our sins. A great commentary for those that love such, Darrell Box, two volumes set on Luke notes that Luke used the verb must, or it is necessary, Greek word day, 18 times in the Gospels. Christ must be in his Father's house, Luke 2.49. He must speak of the kingdom in 4, verse 43. He... In looking at the events associated with death of his return, certain things must precede the end of Luke 21, verse 9. The Son of Man must suffer. And in Luke, you and I are told that when Jesus was handed over to the rulers of Israel and the Roman court, Luke quotes the Apostle Peter as saying that it happened, quote, by God's deliberate plan 
and for knowledge, quote, unquote. Acts 2, 43. This, then, is the divine design that Jesus would die and then be raised from the grave. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer things and enter his glory? Christ poses the question, and now, and now, I want you to see how they begin to lean into this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, you see, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I thought about that, don't you? And you think about where did Jesus begin? What did he cover? He found his on-ramp. In Genesis 3.15, he might have started, God saying to the evil one, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. You heard him this morning? What about Job in chapter 19 of verse 25? For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's resurrection teaching from the Older Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, but in particular, Particular verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we go on to say, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What's he doing now? Instead of just simply saying, I'm alive. He took them into the scriptures to understand that he is alive. This is a lesson for you and a lesson for me. Find your on-ramp. Guide them to understand and start connecting the dots like these individuals had with scriptures, leading to the point of realization and reality. But of course, of course he has to be alive. Billy Graham I was invited to have coffee one morning with Conrad Adenauer before he retired as Chancellor of Germany. And when I walked in, I expected to meet a tall, stiff, formal man. But rather, almost immediately after an embrace, he said, Mr. Graham, what is the most important thing in this world that I should know? Before I could answer, he answered his own question. There's questions and answers, you see. He said, if Jesus Christ is alive, there is hope for this world. If Jesus Christ is in the grave, then I do not see the slightest glimmer of hope on the horizon. And then he amazed me by saying that he believed that the resurrection of Christ was one of the best attested facts of history. And then said, when I leave office, I intend to spend the rest of my life gathering scientific Proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People are looking for hope in the midst of despair. 
Franklin Grimm. He's walking through Ukraine, and then he looks up at a billboard. And as he looks up at that billboard, and he begins to process the significance of what he sees stated on that billboard, he's informed by the billboard that our hope is rooted in prayer. They're not helpless when they're hopeful. What have you seen? The confusion that our Lord addresses. He allows them to talk it through. He allows them at that particular moment to break in. Here's the understanding that our Lord provides in 25 through 27. But now thirdly, the response that our Lord desires. The response that our Lord desires. And so you pick it up in 28. They drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further. In verse 29, in the original language, it's a very powerful word, almost a a word where they almost forcefully insisted that he stay. They urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening. The day is now far spent. That was a dangerous road in that time period. So what takes place? When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, you see. He took the bread. Blessed. Broke it. Gave it to them. And you thought they were the hosts. He's serving them. He breaks the bread for them. And their eyes were opened and recognized him. Vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? Well, we need a visual, don't we? Look at the visual that appears on the screen. And here's a visual of Rembrandt. It's Supper at Emmaus. And lo and behold, what you see here is that, is that Jesus is in a more of a darkened position. The reader might not be able to detect him. The one that's looking might not be able to detect him. But I want you to see is that the light is falling upon the one who is coming to a realization. He is not dead. He is alive. And there is one other, the other disciple, who has fallen, and it's hard to see in this picture, but has fallen at the feet of Jesus. Because God has broken into their supper experience took the initiative, grace, grace at the table. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What do you do with that? 
They rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen. Now, now these two disciples are hearing it from the others. Each other is now ministering to one another and has appeared to Simon. Simon, the one who denied Jesus three times. Simon, for those that have denied Jesus somewhere along the way in your life journey, God doesn't give up on you. He's pursuing you. And then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking, in the breaking of the bread. B.C. Johnny Hart, in his yearly comic strip, would do something regarding Easter. Here's Wiley, and Wiley now on his tablet is writing out some thoughts. Picture yourself tied to a tree condemned of the sins of eternity. Then picture a spear parting the air, seeking your heart and your despair. When suddenly a knight in armor of white stands in the gap betwixt you and its flight, and shedding his armor of God for you, bears the lance that runs him through. Ah, his heart has been pierced that yours may beat, and the blood of his corpse washes your feet. Picture yourself in raiment white, cleansed by the blood of the lifeless night, never to mourn the prince who is downed, for he is not lost. It is you who are found. He finds you on your road to Emmaus. As the worship team comes forward, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Thanking you, Father, on this Resurrection Sunday, this Lord's Day, this Easter, that we have the opportunity to be able to examine, examine the evidence, connect the dots, ponder the reality and see that we have to connect Christ's death and resurrection for life to make sense and for all who simply think that life is all about the journey remind them that the journey has a destination we need to be headed to Jesus who on the third day was raised from the grave so we thank you for this reality we thank you for connecting the dots of our lives. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.